Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Anybody else need a copy of the notes? Just raise your hand. Over there, over there, if you, over that way, that way. Praise God. And if you got your Bible, let's hold them to heaven and say, Thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, Anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And amen. Praise God for his holy written word that lives and abides forever. I want to talk to you this morning about being a super conqueror. A super conqueror. It'd be okay just to be a conqueror, but God says that we're super conquerors, so we want to talk about that for a little bit. That okay? Look at the verse in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. Paul the Apostle speaking to the church at Rome says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, the book of Romans was uh, one of Paul's greatest work. It was considered to be a literary masterpiece. In it, the theme is salvation for both Jew and Gentile and righteousness that comes by means of faith, not the law. He talks about how both Jew and Gentile need saved by grace through faith. And the law is not enough to save any individual person. Well, if... There, there isn't, but if there was a hall of fame as far as chapters in the Bible are concerned, chapter 8 would be enshrined in that chapter hall of fame. It is power packed. It's amazing what he put in that chapter. But before we get to that verse, I want to just give us a little bit about the whole book from the beginning, from chapter 1 up to chapter 8. Just a brief summary of some of the things that Paul points out and why he does. Uh, first of all, you notice that uh, in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, every believer is called to be a saint. Every believer is called to be a saint. Look at chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ? Say it with me, I'm called. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes people think when you talk about the call, you're talking about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But that's not just true. Just them. Everyone's called. We're all called. And what are we called to be? Saints. Well, wait a minute. I thought a saint was someone after they had died, then they were canonized so many years later after a miracle took place or this or whatever. No, that's not biblical at all. Say it with me. I'm a saint now. Listen, you were an ain't before. <laughs> now you're a saint. Amen. Amen. Now you're a saint. And saint means you're consecrated. 
Saint means you're holy, sanctified, set apart for the use of God. So if you've been called to be a saint, what is your calling? You've been called to live a sanctified, holy life. You've been called to be a godly husband. You've been called to be a submissive wife. You've been called to be a parent who teaches their children the ways of God. You've been called to be an example, a godly example where you work in the workplace and everywhere you go. You've been called to shine as a light in the world of darkness and hold forth the word of life to this generation that you've been called to. Can you say amen? You're called to be holy, sanctified, set apart. But then also notice in the, uh, the next point is that it's the gospel he talks about, which is the power of God to salvation, to save a human being. Look at verses 16 and 17. He says, look, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know why he's saying this? Put it in context. In the church at Rome, you've got Jews and Gentiles that have been born again. And the Jews bring in their indoctrination and the Gentiles bring in theirs. And now they're born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb. He's got to set the record straight. And he tells them, look, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, you've got to be saved by grace through faith. The law can't save you, won't save you. You've got to be born again. So he's going to address Jews and he's going to address Gentiles. The Jews have been born again. And, but you see, they wanted to bring in some other things. You know, once you've been indoctrinated one way, it's hard to get rid of that stuff. Once you've been programmed a certain way, it's hard to get rid of that stuff from your life. You've got to get deprogrammed and reprogrammed. And so that's what he begins to do. He says, look, you've got to get saved, both Jew and Gentile, through Jesus Christ by his grace. And then the third thing, uh, man is without excuse. Look at verses 18 through 21. Man is without excuse. In this first chapter, he lays the foundation for what he's going to talk about. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. What does that mean? When Adam sinned, the wrath of God and judgment of God was poured out upon all humankind. All mankind. All humanity. And righteous, unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God had showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what excuse no one on the planet has an excuse not to know God why if you read the rest of the chapter he says even nature reveals his power and Godhead you realize you can look up in the stars in the sky and see the constellation and they spell out the gospel message did you realize that it's there for you to see you look in nature he's saying you can see God in nature in all his acts of creation and you know what as I was meditating this this morning, this kind of hit me real hard. Especially in this time in which we're living. I said, Lord, why in that first chapter did you begin to address uh, immorality, homosexuality, and lesbianism? Because that, that's what he, he addresses. Why did you address this? He said, and really, it, it kind of just was strong in my heart. It was like this. Because I said, in nature, you can see me. But in, in that, it goes against nature. It's unnatural. He says, you can see me in marriage, though, between a man and his wife. You can see me in the marital relationship. As the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, what does it say? It's a mystery, but I'm speak, speaking about a man's marriage to his wife is a picture painting the relationship between Christ and the church. That's a mystery. 
It reveals in nature the right thing. And that's unnatural. And so he goes on. And he continues to talk about some other things in the, in the book. Look at the next one. A Jew is one who is one inwardly. Not outwardly. And look at verses 28 and 29. Why is he saying this? Because these Jews were that they were brought in that were born again that were from the seed of Abraham and we've got to bring these laws and we've got to show this and that and that, that, that. Paul says wait a minute wait a minute that doesn't give you any clout okay for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly neither is circumcision which is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God the true Jew is on the inside, born of the Spirit, washed in the blood. True circumcision is of the heart. He took out the old heart, put in a new heart. He circumcised the flesh and the natural, but he circumcised your heart in the spiritual. That's the true Jew. Amen. So you see you got Jews and Gentiles coming in, and he's preaching to both of them. And he says, that is what you need to focus on. Okay. Well, he doesn't stop there. He brings out more. Look at the, uh, the next statement. The law saves no one. Look at chapter 3, the law saves no one. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty, whoa, before God. That's what the, the purpose of the law, to show everyone's guilty. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is given the knowledge of sin. So the law served a purpose to let people know they're sinners and they need a savior. But the law can't save you. And you'll see then also uh, in chapter 4, or, or no, chapter 3, look at verses 27 and 28. That no one is saved by the law, you're saved by faith. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You see why he's hitting this hard and heavy? Because these Jewish believers, they're still wanting to go back to the law. Go back to the law. He said, no, 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 no. The law can't save you. Couldn't save you. Why do you want to go back under the law? You're saved by grace through faith. Period. And that's the only way you can be saved. I don't have these listed in there for you, but chapter 4, he continues his argument. Wasn't Abraham justified by faith? He says. And that was way before the law. And you read the whole chapter 4, and that's what he's talking about. Abraham was justified by faith. And it talks about how he believed, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, because he believed God. So in chapter 4, he makes that very clear to all those that were coming in who were Jews. That you're born again, and the law is not going to serve any purpose for you. You've been saved by grace through faith. And now as a Christian, both Jew and Gentile, honor the Lord by living a holy, godly life. Chapter 5, he says, okay, Abraham was how? Saved by grace through faith. But chapter 5 and verse 1 says what? We now have peace with God. We, by faith, we are justified and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified by what? By faith, not by the law. So Abraham was justified by faith. And we all, Jew and Gentile, are justified by faith. And we have peace with God. And we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. So chapter 5. Look at the point he's making. He starts with the beginning. You're called to be, in, be a saint. To live a holy, godly, separated life. And, and also, everyone needs to be saved by grace through faith. It's the gospel for both Jew and Gentile. 
God has exposed himself to the whole world. Anyone that's in this world, living in this world, that's under the wrath of God, under judgment of sin, will know because the Spirit of God will convict you. Just look at nature, and you'll know that you can be saved. And you can know the eternal Godhead and his power. And realize this, the law saves no one. Abraham was justified by faith. You're justified by faith, period. Then he goes to chapter 5, and he leads a little bit further. And what does he say? God revealed his love to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us while we were all yet sinners, both Jew and Gentile. Then he hits on Adam. Adam was the one through his disobedience brought sin into the world and death. Then he says, but Jesus came, praise God, to do what the first Adam did not do, where he was disobedient. The first Adam, the second Adam, the last Adam was obedient. And by his obedience, the grace of God abounds to anyone that will call upon his name. So that by faith and in the grace of God and the righteousness of God, we can reign his life. And be victorious over all the opposing forces that come against us as Christians as we live our life here upon the earth. Well, then in chapter 6, he answers a question. Well, then, well, then, if that's the case, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. How can you continue in sin so grace can abound? You were delivered from it. It has no power over you whatsoever. Don't continue in sin. You're a child of God now. And God will empower you. Uh, look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Say with me, sin has no power over me. Say it again, sin has no power over me. Say it like you mean it, sin has no power over me. Hallelujah. It's been, the yoke's been broken, destroyed. It has no power over me. Because you see, if you don't get that bold like that, you kind of think, well, you know, I always do this and I always do that. It has no power over me. It has no power over me. That has no... If there's something that you've been warm with, you start saying it. You have no power over me. Praise God Almighty. But then we go into chapter 7. And we go into chapter 7 of the book of uh, Romans. And what do we discover in chapter 7? Uh, the Christian life has what? Challenges challenges Paul here is stating in that whole chapter that look when I was under the law I tried to keep the law and I tried to want to do what I wanted to do I didn't do it what I shouldn't do I did what I should should do I didn't in other words there's a struggle there's a warfare there are challenges to living the life okay he says oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. Notice with my mind I serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. What's he talking about? The warfare. The struggle. The battle that we're all in. You know you give your heart and life to Jesus. But you still got to work with this what? This flesh. And you can see this. If there was a tyrant back in the Old Testament days. And in certain places. You know what they did? What they would do is if you committed murder, they would take the body of the one you murdered, tie it to you face to face, wrap you next to it until you would die from the contagion. How would you like to die that way? You committed murder, that was it. They tied his body or her body to your body until you died. Not a good way to die. Why am I saying that? Because your body is tied to your spirit and your spirit to your body. 
And Paul was saying on the inside, I want to serve God. I want to live for God, love God, obey God, follow God. But this man on the outside, does it give you problems once in a while? Hmm? There's a warfare between what? The spirit and the flesh of a man. There's a warfare taking place. And Paul says, I know it. But guess what? With my mind, I serve the law of God. With my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Now I've got to make a decision what I'm going to do. I know I'm born again. I know I have the life of God. I've been justified by faith. I have the love of God, life of God on the inside of me, the power of God. I'm holy, set apart, sanctified to live a righteous, holy, godly life because that's God's desire. But I've got this flesh I'm tied to that wants to contaminate me. Right? And make me do the wrong thing. Get angry and sin. Look at this. Do that. But etc. 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 Things that are not healthy for me spiritually. Creating all kind of problems in my life. That's what, that's what he's trying to say here. Were you ready for it? Eight, chapter 8 of Romans. Praise God. And verse 1. This, this Hall of Fame chapter says this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. Praise God. What's he saying? While we face the struggles and concerns of life, you might stumble along the way, you might trip along the way, you might get, maybe I should have done this and shouldn't have done that. And you know what the devil's going to do? He's going to pounce on you and say, look at you. Man, look at you in the mirror. You did this, you did that, you said this, you said that. You're not a good Christian. You stop right there. If you let that infiltrate your mind and your thinking, you'll begin to think wrong. And you'll think, I'm just this lowly little person, the worm saved by grace. And I can hardly do it, serve God. I'm always missing the mark. I'm always stumbling. I'm always falling. You're going to think like that. And condemnation will be all over you. And guilt will be all over you. But if you rise up with a strong voice and you start saying, I'm no longer under the law law of sin and death I'm under the law of the spirit of life I'm going to start thinking like this maybe I stumbled and fell but my God picks me up maybe I made a mistake but my God corrects my mistakes I want you to know something devil you've got nothing over me because there's no condemnation there's no guilt praise God I'm going to live by the law of life in my thinking not by the law of sin and death I can prove that to you you read on those next verses you know what it says verses 5 through 8 he talks about the carnal mind's enmity against God but the spiritual mind is life and peace. So if I think in line with who I am in the flesh, I'm going under. But if I think of who I am in the life of the Spirit, I'm going over, praise God. I'm going to succeed. Now you're ready for this. We've looked at this verse in Romans 8:11. If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells where? Dwells where? In you. What's it going to do? What's He going to do? Quicken your mortal body. That means, yes, healing and health. But you know what else it means? Empower you to rise up above the flesh. Arise up above the law of sin and death. He'll be empowered by the Spirit of God living in you and say, I can handle it, praise God, by the grace of God. I can overcome it by the grace of God. The strength of God is in me because I'm thinking right now see the carnal mind is enmity against God it's a force of rebellion against God but when you start saying you know what God knew I'd make a mistake in the flesh you want to know how he shows you that in nature see the little one we just brought in here what beautiful right but one day that child's going to try to walk and when the child tries to walk going to fall once in a while trip up a little bit you don't look down there and just say wow you terrible thing you 
Why did you fall? Why did you trip up? Why did you make that mistake? No, you walk over immediately and just say, come on, sweetheart, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Come on, honey, you can do it. Well, guess what? God's looking at you. And when you stumble and fall, you make a mistake and you miss the mark. You know, he's, he's not up there with a whip saying, I'm going to whip you to death now. I'm going to beat you up, silly. He says, come on, son, you can do it. Come on, daughter, you can do it. Rise up, come on, I will take you. I'll walk with you. I'll power you. I'll help you. I'll assist you. And together, we're going to overcome. Whatever it is you're facing in life. Whatever it is that's trying to dominate your life. You can rise up and you can overcome. You know why? You're a super conqueror. So, Paul then asks five questions in this beautiful chapter. Now, we're, I don't, there's not time to take the whole thing. You understand that. So I selected these five questions. But right before them, not only is he talking about you got the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. You're led by the spirit of God, right? You're a son of God, sons and daughters of the most high God. In your spirit you cry, what? Abba, Father, he's my father. You're led by the spirit of God because you're a son of God. Then he says the whole creation is groaning out to be delivered from this, this mess that Adam brought to the world, Right? We too within ourselves, we're growing, groaning within ourselves, crying out for the completion of the sons of God till we're in a glorified state and we no longer have to mess around with all the evil that's around us and all the unrighteousness and all that and all the temptations and trials of life, right? He says, but until that happens, I want you to know something. You've got the Holy Spirit of God in you to make intercession through you and for you that cannot be uttered in articulate speech. He says, this is the purpose of your calling. When the Bible says all things work together for good, I'm not talking about you falling down and breaking your leg. It's talking about all the things of the Spirit. There's no condemnation. There is no guilt. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. You've got the mind of Christ. You've got the Spirit of God praying in you and through you. And you're groaning within yourself to be clothed with the power of God in your life. And all those things are working together for you good because you've been purposed by the hand of God to be called what? To conform to the image of Jesus Christ the Lord. That's His calling in your life. Okay? What a beautiful chapter so far. Well now, he goes on to say in verse 31. Now remember who he's talking to. Jews and Gentiles. The Jews who thought, man, we come from the seed of Abraham. <laughs> right? That little swagger about them. We come from the seed of Abraham. Gentiles that come in, they go, where they come from? They have no idea where they came from. All kind of lasciviousness and everything else. But they come in. Right? They're, they're born again now. And he tells them all this information that we just said. Now he says this in Romans 8.31. The first question. Here's the first question. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What was that? Yes, Paul. If God be for us, who can be against us? Look, he's, he's saying this. Number one, God's not against us. He's not against you. Number two, he's not even neutral towards you. He's not just sitting in neutral, going nowhere. God is for you. And if God can be for you, and if God is for you, who in the world can be against you? Can Satan be against you? Nope, Jesus defeated him. Can the world be against you? Nope, Jesus overcame the world. Can the flesh be against you? Can't do it. It's crucified by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the lust thereof. And so we've been empowered. If God is for us, nothing, no one on earth can successfully be against us and overcome us. Paul says, if God is for us. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is God for you? Is he for you? 
Is he on your side? Is he on your team? Oh, hallelujah. He sure is. Praise God. So no enemy can stand against you successfully. Question number two. Will God withhold anything from us? Will God withhold anything? Look at verse 32. His second question is, will this God who's for us hold withhold anything from us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us, what? All things. Listen, he did not withhold the greater, Jesus. Why would he withhold the lesser? What's the lesser? Food, clothing, shelter, protection, healing, deliverance, forgiveness. Protection, power, strength. It goes on and on. Peace. It goes on. Everything, anything, everything. Will he withhold anything from us? Absolutely not. Psalm 8411, what does it say? God's a sun and shield who gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly. So he's not withholding anything from us whatsoever. So if God be for us, who could be against us? And what will he withhold from us? Absolutely positive nothing. If you went to a jeweler and you bought a beautiful diamond ring for your sweetheart that you're going to marry. And you paid cash for that diamond ring. And then you asked him, can I have the box that goes with it? And he said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> what would you think of that jeweler? I just spent buku bucks on this diamond ring and you won't give me the box that goes in it? If, if God gave you the blood of his son as payment for your life, how can he withhold food, clothing, shelter, strength, peace, power to rise up and overcome what you and I face in this life? The answer is he can't and he won't. Question number three. Uh, he also tells us that who can accuse us before God. Here is what really undermines people's faith. Accusations. And you know what? Your biggest accuser is probably yourself. You might think it's the devil. No, I mean, he's crazy and we understand that. But you know what? You probably just blame yourself more than anything. Don't even accuse yourself. You know your faults, your shortcomings, and your failures and all that. You understand that. We know that. You know that. You can look in the mirror and know exactly who you are. Stop thinking as who you are in the flesh. And you, when you start thinking who you are in the spirit, you'll overcome all that. Praise God. But look at Romans 8.33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justified. Can anyone bring a charge against us that will stick can any person bring a charge that will stick against us to God? Can anyone approach the throne of God and just say, Hey, look at Bill. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's doing. And I'm telling you right now, just kick him out of your kingdom. He doesn't belong there. He's not perfect. Well, I'll tell you what. The judge of the universe has declared me not guilty. I said the judge of the universe has declared me not guilty. He put a big old rubber stamp, dipped it in the blood of Jesus, and sealed my soul and said not guilty. Paid in full. My sin debt has been paid in full. It's God who justified me, not man. 
Oh, hallelujah. Satan can't accuse me. You know why? I'm constantly being cleansed by the waterfalls of the blood of Jesus Christ upon my soul. That's why. You say, can you breathe without sinning? I don't know. Probably not. You breathe. Your breath was a wrong breath. You walk out the door. You heard a sermon. All of a sudden, you do something wrong. In the flesh, there's no good thing. You know that as well as I do. But I want you to know something. Have you done something wrong? Did you do something wrong on the way to church here today? Did you do something wrong? Maybe you ate two donuts instead of one today? I don't know. Whatever you did, whatever it might have been. Let me tell you this right now. It's under the blood. If you but say, oh, Lord, I shouldn't have eaten that third donut. Uh, Oh, I thought I said two, but now it's three. I shouldn't have eaten that fourth donut. Lord, I shouldn't have done that. But I'm telling you right now. Oh, forgive me by the blood of the lamb. And there's a waterfall that comes on you and the blood just sets you free and so here the devil trying to get in and accuse you but he can't get by the blood see he sees you through the rainbow of the blood of the lamb completely delivered and set free not guilty before the king of kings and lord of lords so who can successfully accuse you before God no one look at the next one who can condemn you Paul says Romans 8 34 let's read it who can condemn us who is he that condemns It's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Look at that verse. He's talking about the critics that come against us, who judge us because of our, what, shortcomings and faults and failures that we have in the natural. And look at his answer. Who can condemn you? It's Christ that died. It's Christ who has risen. It's Christ who's seated at the right hand of God, which means the work's been done, and He is making intercession for you. He's your advocate before the throne of God, whose blood yet speaks better things than that of Abel's. And when the enemy tries to condemn you, or people try to condemn you, or you try to condemn yourself, stop right there and just say, maybe in the natural I don't look too good. Maybe I've stumbled along the way. But praise God, I'm in Christ and the blood has set me free. I'm delivered. I go to the throne of God. Thank you, Father, for my advocate who's praying for me and my success. Hallelujah. And then finally, see, they can't because Jesus died and rose again. But number five. Who or what can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord? Who or what can do it? Can anything? Look at the verse here, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation. He named 17 things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. And it is written for thy sake, uh, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. Hold that thought. But I am persuaded that neither what? Death, nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice all the things he named. Even present things or future things. He named all those things can stop God from loving every single one of us. In all these things, he said, we barely get by. No, we're what? More than conquerors through him that loves us. Everybody say more than. That's the Greek word hooper. H-U-P-E-R. Look in your notes there. I gave you a definition. It actually means above and beyond, superior to, dominant, unequaled. It carries the idea of superiority. When 
Paul said more than, that's the word he was using. But notice the word conquerors. It comes from also the Greek word nikos. It means champion, victor, overcomer, or master. Nike gets that terminology. That's where Nike comes from. Champion, champion, warrior, the undefeated. Okay, so the thing is, when you put it together, hypernikos or hypernikos, it means super conquerors, superior overcomers, or more than a match for any foe. So when Paul said, in all these things, people, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, you got the same flesh to contend with. We all do, don't we? You got the same devil, you got the same world, you got the same flesh to contend with. You'll be tempted to be critical, judgmental, point the finger at other people, but don't do it because if you do it, you condemn yourself or judge yourself. Don't point out the speck that's in your brother's eye if you've got a beam in your eye. Isn't that what Jesus said? Don't judge so that you won't be judged. Isn't that what he said? But you know what he said? Help each other carry your heavy burdens. Help somebody along the way. Lift them up. Sharpen them with the word of God. Get around them and hold them up. Lift them up. Praise God. That's what God's doing for you. That's what Jesus is doing for you and for me. So he says in all these things that we encounter in this life, God views us as super conquerors through him that loves us. Not in our own strength, but in his love that he will not separate us from ever and ever. So beloved, in conclusion, God wants us to see ourselves as he sees us. He wants us to see ourselves as super conquerors, no matter what we face in this life, and declare it, you are no match. Whatever you're encountering or facing, you are no match. You are no match for the life of God that is in me. Okay? He wants us to see ourselves. He doesn't want to see ourselves insecure individuals that are guilty and condemned and always under uh, the victim mentality that says, oh my goodness, how am I going to get through life? He doesn't want to see ourselves that way. He made us his masterpiece. He made us who we are. He cleansed us by the blood. It was costly as far as the throne was concerned and the kingdom was concerned to make us who we are. God wants us to appreciate who we are. God wants us to know who we are. He wants us to say who we are. And he wants us to stop start speaking to our mountains and chipping away little bit by little bit with the hammer of the word of God and saying anger you have no power over me anger you have no power I may get angry but I will not sin whatever it is alcohol you have no power over me tobacco you have no power over me disease you have no power over me whatever the case may be lying you have no power over me who are you A super conqueror? More than a conqueror? A world overcomer by your faith? Jesus said in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world and, and what? What's the victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith. I believe, you believe in Jesus, you believe in the Son, you believe in the power of God, you believe in the resurrection, you believe that he is seated at the right hand, you believe in his, his advocate ministry, you believe he's the high priest of your confession, then God wants us to pull it together and start declaring it, praise God. Come on up here, praise and worship team. I see masterpieces out there. I see superior conquerors out there. I see world overcomers out there. That's who I see out there. That's who you are. That's who he made you. That's who I am. That's, and, and we need to remind ourselves every day of this. Do you see that? The need for that? Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. 
whether you have young children or kids in elementary school. If you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.